Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? I hope you're well. It's uh, interlull week, so there's not much going on from an Arsenal point of view. That's why a podcast is more important than ever. And we do have a podcast for you today. How do I know? Well, because I'm recording it. And how do you know there's a podcast? Well, because you've downloaded it and you're listening to it um, on Acast. Or iTunes. Oh, does iTunes? iTunes doesn't even exist anymore, apparently. They've they've done away with it in the new Mac OS update. iTunes is no longer iTunes. They've split it into a number of different apps. I think there's a podcast app, a music app, and a... What the fuck else was there on iTunes, apart from podcasts and music? Movies? Was there, like, films and shit? I don't know. Maybe they've done that too, but uh, however it is that you're listening to this podcast, whether it's in, you know, iTunes or not iTunes or YouTube or Spotify or Acast or Pocket Cast or Cast Monkey or Pod Glooper or Cast Jizz or Ear Sounds or whatever fucking app you use, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And hopefully we can provide you with some entertainment to get you through this um, tedious dull, lifeless, limp, lifeless interlull. That's what it is. Um, today, I was uh, we're doing some cleaning up around the house and throwing a lot of stuff out. You know, one of those periodic things where you go, we've got to throw like crap out, stuff that's been in boxes for years and years and years. Anyway, I came across a notebook um, around the time that I started Arsblog. And it was full of other Arsenal websites. I'm sure I've told this story before, but the very first iteration of Arsblog was, it was a little more niche. It was a little more niche than that. The first website I started, the first Arsenal website, uh, was actually called The Church of Bob which operated under the premise that Robert Perez was a kind of religious slash cult leader and everybody was enthralled to Robert Perez. And it was, you know, a kind of a one gag thing that didn't go much beyond one gag. And, uh, you know, it was hard to get beyond that one gag and do anything on a consistent basis with it. And then afterwards, I came up with the idea of Arsblog, which was, you know, a little more broad, gives you a bit more scope to talk about stuff. But anyway, around the time that I was setting all that up, I did a list of uh, all the all the various Arsenal websites that were around in 2001, 2002. And I think this was late 2001 when I put this list together. I put it up on Twitter and man, there's such a lot of 
of Arsenal websites. There's some of the the bigger ones like uh, Sky Sports is there, Reuters, This Is London, which became the Evening Standard, of course, Football 365, Soccernet, The Mirror, ITV Sport. But there was like all the stuff like Arsenal World at AFC, Steve Gleber's website. And you might remember he used to do um, like match day IRC channels, if you have any idea what that was. But Arseweb, Arse Online, Up the Arse, Gunnernet, and then weird stuff like weird um, pages that people would do. Like, so Jacko's page. I don't know who Jacko is. Kerry's AFC page. Mike the Austrian Gunner. Jason Lim's page. There were all these strange ones out there. Vlad's page. Um, Arsenal Experience. Pete's AFC page. There was Peter's Tony Adams page. Anthony's Absolute Arsenal. Just a rake of Arsenal websites. There were so many of them around back then. I don't think there are quite as many now. I mean, I know there's loads of you know, Facebook groups and there are, there are loads of Arsenal podcasts and there are, you know, there used to be a lot of Arsenal blogs, a whole load of Arsenal blogs out there. You could read, you could read loads of them, but now there, there aren't too many of them that are updating on a, on a regular basis. But this was in the, the early days of the internet. If you want to check out the websites, you can uh, look at it on my Twitter. It's uh, twitter.com forward slash arseblog. And wow, I mean, there were just so many of them out there. It was a bit of a, a throwback. Some I'm sure people will remember. Um, and, you know, in those formative years of the internet, they, they kind of stick in your memory a bit, the pages and the websites that you used to visit. But there was just so much out there from, from an Arsenal point of view. And uh, look, here we are, um, whatever it is, coming up on, what year is it? It's 2019, so 2020. It's going to be 18 years of Arseblog in 2020, so that will tell you. A lot has come and gone in that space of time. Anyway, there's a little ramble down memory lane for you. Now, though, let's get on with the show and let's have some interlol Arsenal chat. Joining me uh, to discuss Unai Emery and getting a kind of Spanish perspective on him, it's Alex Kirkland, who is the producer of the Spanish Football Podcast, but he's a journalist based in Madrid and, of course, an Arsenal fan. He's somebody who knows Unai Emery well from his time working uh, in Spain. Alex, how are you? Hello, Andrew. How are you doing? Very good, thanks. Uh, glad to have you on the show. And I want to talk to you a bit about Unai Emery to start with. Um, we might touch on Arsenal's league form and, and some of the tactical and uh, system issues that um, have affected that during the course of this season and maybe last season as well. But one of the big positives from an Arsenal fan's point of view, and I'm sure you'd agree, is that the the emergence of some of the young talent at the club, and everyone knows the names, but Joe Willock, Bakayo Saka, um, Rhys Nelson, Gabriel Martinelli, even Matteo Ganduzzi to, to a certain extent, has been one of the real positives about this season and some of the performances in the, in the cup competitions have been thoroughly enjoyable. I'm just sort of curious as to what Emery's record is like with young players at other clubs, because I feel like many managers, if they have the option between a young, inexperienced player and an experienced player who they can more or less count on, they'll generally all plump for the experienced player they can all count or they can count on. This season, Arsenal have taken away some of those experienced players in the shape of Iwobi Mkhitaryan, in particular when we're talking about young players that come through to uh, to play in the front three or further up the field. Um, so Emery hasn't had a, a great deal of choice in, in terms of the players that he's been able to use in those positions. So 
it is a positive, but but how does it tally up with some of his um, previous clubs like Valencia and Sevilla in particular? I feel like it's not his preference. I think what we've seen this season has has been a necessity more than anything. I think we saw last season, for example, when he when he had the choice, when he had the option, he preferred to go with the experience, someone like Mkhitaryan, for example. Mm. And I think if you look back at his time at, at Sevilla and at Valencia as, as well, I mean, his reputation here in general is as quite a conservative coach, yeah. as kind of a safety first kind of coach. Um, and actually, I mean, you're here people being a lot more critical than than that i remember when he was appointed as as arsenal coach and i was you know once i got over the initial uh, kind of surprise and shock like like all of us i was trying to kind of you know talk myself into the idea and i remember talking to a colleague of mine here who's um the correspondent for l'equipe um he's a he's a french journalist and i asked him oh what do you think about emery you know do you think he could be a good fit for for arsenal and the word he he used to describe him is is not very flattering, actually, and he was basically saying that he was a, a bit of a, a bit of a coward, a bit of a negative uh, coach, a, a coach who is very much safety first, and that's what he'll revert to, you know, in, in, in kind of difficult times. Um, and I think there, there is something in that. Like I can't, when I think back to his his Sevilla team and, and the Valencia team before that, I don't think there are too many cases that you can point to of him going for for a young player. Out of out of choice and really kind of sticking with it. I, I think it's if he has to, he'll he'll do it. But I definitely don't feel like it's a it's a preference of his, and I, I certainly don't feel like it's kind of a a, a hallmark or a, you know a trademark of, of of his kind of style or his his kind of coaching ideas. Yeah, it's quite interesting though, isn't it? Because I I, I read this week Matteo Genduzzi, He's away on on international duties uh, with the the French under twenty ones, and he is. Absolutely full of praise for for Emery. He says he's someone who's taught me a lot on and off the pitch. I want to repay that trust. He gave me the opportunity at the highest level. And that was kind of a surprise to see him come through last season as, as quickly as he did when he signed. Because there was a, a, a rumour that Arsenal were after a, a youngster from PSG. Was it um, mm. Yassin Adli? Yeah. A similar kind of profile of player. Ginduzi maybe a little more advanced in terms of his development and certainly a couple of years older. But the way that Ginduzi was integrated straight away into the first team, you know, I'm not saying it, it um, makes a lie of what you're saying, but it's sort of at odds a little bit with that because he was this young, inexperienced guy, obviously full of enthusiasm and determination and, and everything else. But, you know, in the opening game of the season against Manchester City, there he was and he kind of kept his place throughout throughout most of the season. So, you know, do you think perhaps that player and his use of that player has maybe opened his mind a little bit? Genduzzi is interesting, and I do wonder if he is a bit of a, of a special case. Now, whether it's because he just really, really likes him as a player or whether it's because he's not so keen on the alternatives, mm. I'm, or maybe it's a bit of both. I, I'm not quite sure. You know, you guys have talked on the podcast about, about Torreira and the way that it seems that Emery doesn't quite, either doesn't quite like Torreira or doesn't quite know how to, how to use him. So maybe it's a little bit of, of both. Maybe it's that he sees something in Genduzzi, but also it's it's looking at the, the other options there and feeling that they've been a, a little bit lacking. And then, you know, Genduzzi, he sort of sees the opportunity and certainly... I mean, this year, I think he's been he's been brilliant and you basically can't leave him out because of how important he's become. Mm, I wonder, is it a, perhaps a little bit of a test from the Arsenal hierarchy as well, in the sense that they, they 
they've obviously, and and you can hear um, Edu has talked about it, Mertesacker has talked about it, Raul Senyehi has talked about it, uh, Vinay, uh, the the. Uh, the job share guy with with Raoul, whose uh, job escapes me at this moment. He's the MD, or the you know mm. he looks after the business side of the club. But um, uh, and if he's listening, I apologize uh, for not getting your job right. But you know he talked very very explicitly more than once, and quite recently on a trip to India, I think as well, where the importance of the academy was was crucial to the club because a it, it can save you money in the the transfer market and that I think is something we we can all identify as as something Arsenal want to do but also it can generate you money that you know players who who come through and play for a while and maybe don't make the grade they're much more valuable when you go to sell them because they've got 50 or 70 or even 100 Premier League games under their belt, and I do wonder if this strategy of taking away the likes of Mkhitaryan and and um, uh, Iwobi, and maybe even to a lesser extent Mesut Ozil, um, depending on what what's happening there, is the club kind of pushing him out of his comfort zone to see if he's the right man to to carry out that strategy. But it makes me feel like Emery is maybe in that case a bit of a square peg in a round hole because mm. you hear everything that the clubs say about the kind of uh, team they want to be, uh, the, the, the style that they that they want, all of that. And then I think you look at Emery and it seems to me that there's a bit of a, there's a, there's a, there's a clash there. Like he doesn't, his, his style and everything that we know about him doesn't to me necessarily fit everything that the, that the clubs say they want their coach to be. And actually even the Emery kind of says that he, that he wants to be, because sometimes I feel like the things that he, he says, about what he wants to see from his team aren't really reflected in what we actually see. So, yeah, I, I think that's true. But to be honest, it kind of makes me think that they're trying to make him be the kind of coach that they want when maybe that's not really the coach that he is. Yeah, they might have to find that coach somewhere else. Um, yeah, look, it, it is very interesting. And I think when you talk about the things that he says and the things that we see being slightly diverse, if you like, you know, what he says about the game and controlling the game and being attacking. And then you look at some of the performances and it's hard to, to understand, well, if that's your philosophy, are you carrying it out that badly? You know? Um, but, but communication, I think, and we spoke about this, um, a few weeks ago, um, communication has kind of been, a thing with Emery throughout his career. And it's not necessarily just tied to the fact that English is a second language or, you know, he had issues in France as well, where perhaps I think they might be a little more, um, what's the word I want to use here? A little more precious about the language than, than people are in England. But even in Spanish, even in his native tongue, there are issues with the way that he communicates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the jobs that I used to do out here was um, translating uh, pre and post match press conferences into English for a for a client in the in the UK, and my a colleague of mine and I used to joke about who would have to do the Emory press conferences at, at Sevilla because you you didn't want that job because he'd get asked a question and he would go on and on and on <laughs> and around in circles and it's not that it didn't make sense of course it did you know um, but it's just that there wasn't a lot of, you know, there'd be sort of some buzzwords in there and there'd be some ideas in there that you could kind of, you could see what he was saying, but it never quite came together. And it certainly wasn't kind of clear. 
and concise. You know, he'd, he'd answer a question. He'd take two minutes answering a question. When you know a lot of coaches, you know, 30 seconds max and you're, and you're done. So it, it's not just a, a language thing. And it's not just a problem with his, with his English. Although I think that is a problem as, as well. He's like it in, in Spanish as well. Now, I, don't, I can't believe that he's like that with the players. I mean, I really hope he's not like that with the, with, with the players. It might well be different out on, the, out on the training ground and behind closed doors, but that's certainly the, the way that he was with the, with the press, which is weird because, you know, being a good communicator, you feel like it's so fundamental to being a good coach. Like it's one of the most important things. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it, it, it's a funny one. But then he's, you know, he's, he's, he's an interesting character, isn't he? He's, he's kind of like, I think it feeds into his reputation here. He's very... He's very highly regarded in, in Spain. Um, he's, he's highly rated. You know, in terms of active Spanish coaches at the moment, he's, it's only Pep who has a better CV in terms of trophies won. Um, and there's no doubt that, you know, whenever the time comes for him to leave Arsenal, there would be big jobs for him here in Spain. You know, whenever the, um, whenever the Spain job comes up next, for example, Emery would be a candidate for sure. Uh, when Simeone eventually leaves Atleti, whenever that may, that may be, he would be talked about uh, as well for that because of his, of his CV. But he's not necessarily kind of loved here, I guess, because he's not exactly a, a lovable character. There's a little bit of kind of, there's a distance he, there, you know, there's a slight remoteness yeah. uh, there. He's hard to connect to. Like, you know, it's difficult to get a read on on his personality because I remember reading an interview with him last season and obviously his first season in England and anybody who's gone to live in a different country will understand, you know, particularly as an adult, you know, they'll understand the difficulty of learning a new language and how how hard it is to, to speak a new language, particularly in public. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I, I have to take my hat off to Emery, whether it was the right thing to do or not, whether he might have been better working with a translator for a little while or not. You know, he sat down on the very first day he arrived at Arsenal and he, he tried to, to speak English. And I think that's something, you know, to, to be admired. Yeah, it's really brave. It's it really, really brave. It is quite brave, impressive, yeah. I think. Because you're always like worried about, am I going to say, you know, the wrong thing? Am I going to pronounce the word wrong? Am I going to use the wrong word? Am I just going to run out of words? Just not going to be able to think of how to say what it is that I want to say. It's all it's all quite terrifying. You know, even if, you know, I remember when I first moved to Spain and you, you used to, oh God, I have to, got to go and like, like go to the to the you know the the electric shop or whatever and I've got to talk to them about my electric bill and it's terrifying just yeah. talking to somebody behind the counter let alone yeah. a room full of full of journalists or or the whole world on TV so from that point of view I've got a great deal of admiration for him but it's it's difficult to get a read on his personality and I was going back to that interview that he did with with El Mundo um and and it was much, obviously, much more eloquent and much more um, concise. Now, whether that was down to some judicious editing on their part, uh, I don't know. But you got a better sense of him from from that interview. But, you know, he, he, he isn't an easy guy to connect with, particularly as we're still, I think, you know, maybe 18 months in now to close to 18 months into his, his time at Arsenal, trying to properly understand what it is that he wants his team to do on the pitch. And I think the two things, you know, they they feed off each other. You know, the lack of ability to connect with with him as a person is exacerbated by by the lack of connection with, with his football, if that makes sense. And also the communication thing, I mean, it hasn't got better 
this I don't think this I don't, I don't think he's maybe his English is a little bit more expansive and there's more vocabulary there but in terms of understanding exactly what he's getting at I mm. don't feel like it's any easier to understand now than it was a year ago particularly mm. um, now I, I've, I've spoken to people who who know him personally and know him quite quite well and they say that in person he is a really kind of engaging passionate interesting guy but that that doesn't always come across in the in the public persona and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that because i think everyone who's like a public figure has kind of a, a public and a private persona but i don't think it helps like i say when when communication is such a key part of what of what you do i i really don't think it's helpful and in addition like it w- would be one thing if what was happening on the pitch was really clear but his explanations of it were were unclear. Maybe that would be o- okay. But I feel like there's a lack of clarity on the pitch as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. None of it's none of it's clear. Like what we're seeing on the pitch isn't clear, and what we're seeing, what we're hearing from him isn't and doesn't match up either. So there's no you, you, there's nowhere that you can really get a proper message from of what what it's all about and what he's trying to do yeah what what do you make of what's happening on the pitch because obviously he's a coach who has won things um everyone knows about the three europa leagues and um you know the trophies that he's won there are are you know you, you can't take that away from him but Again, going back to what happened with Sevilla, what happened to uh, what happened with Valencia when he was was the coach there. In terms of like a consistency of league position and performance, you know, was he or has he been the kind of coach who who has demonstrated on a consistent basis that that he can get his team to play? Um, I don't I I don't mean attacking football or exciting football or whatever but but a, a kind of football with consistency whether you like it or you don't like it you know is it the same from you know one game to the next to the next or was he always this kind of um chameleonic coach whose whose teams look like they were lurching from one thing to the next I feel like at Sevilla, there was more of a, a clear idea of, of what he wanted the, the, the team to do. And I feel like that his Sevilla team were kind of recognisable as having a, a, a style. And at, at Valencia as well, I mean, I think people forget a little bit because it's obviously a, li- a little bit um, longer ago. But at Valencia, he did an amazing job because he got them to finish third. And mm. it was a time when they were a complete mess off the pitch. They, he was losing his best players every every season. And he actually he did really, really well there. Um, funny enough, the Valencia fans now can't stand him. In fact, I was at um, I was at Mestalla last year for a game when Valencia played uh, Getafe, and Emery was there as well. Some of his family still live in in Valencia, and I think he was taking a look at a player as well. And when they showed Emery on the big screen at, at Mestalla, it was a chorus of whistles. Um, nice. Most of that is down to one specific incident when he was back there with Sevilla and he celebrated like crazy a last minute Sevilla goal. So it's, it's partly that. It's, it's not only you know what he did as, as, as Valencia coach and also the fans there are incredibly demanding. Um, but to go back to it, no, I feel like Sevilla were, they did have a much a much clearer idea and there was a real kind of um, energy to, to them and they did really kind of go at teams. Mm. Um, it wasn't always plain sailing at Sevilla. You know, they famously went an entire league season without winning an away game, um, <laughs> which is not it's not not ideal. No. Um, but but generally, yeah, I, I, I feel like I feel like there was more of a 
uh, of a clarity there. Then, you know, PSG, I, I can't really speak to because I didn't see as much of his PSG and I feel like it's such a weird situation anyway. Um, but at Arsenal, I just feel like I'm not any closer to having an idea of what he what he wants the team to to be. Well, you, you know, going, yeah. going into this season, I was... I really wanted to be positive going into this season because I think like a lot of a lot of Arsenal fans, I was really excited about the business we did at the end of the of the window. And I wanted to kind of be upbeat and positive and say, oh, let's let's see what we can do this year, even though the end of last season was just so horrific mm. and kind of deflating and and, and disappointing. Um, but I don't I just don't see I don't see an improvement and I don't see a. A plan, yeah. And was, people was... will say we're third in the table and we've only lost one game, and that's true. I know. I, 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 that, that, you, know, you can't argue with, with that. But I just, I want to see something to kind of hang on to as some sort of progression that's being made, and it's, it's just not. I don't yeah. think it's there. I was, yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you, you know, because last season we had the, you have all the various caveats. You know, um, it's his first season, players injured, and some of the reasons are are are, are perfectly, perfectly okay to to sort of provide some mitigation for for the way we performed last season. Um, but were you, and I, I know I was, particularly after the summer that we had and after the way that he was backed, I, I was critical of the club for not backing him more in January because I think if they had, potentially Arsenal would be playing Champions League football this season. Um, but in the summer, you can't say that he wasn't backed in the transfer market, you know, in a, in a pretty big and comprehensive way. So were you expecting, I know it's eight games, only eight games, it's a long season, blah, blah, blah. But I was expecting to see something just a little more cohesive by now, and I'm not, and that provides me with with concerns that some people don't share. Some people are just looking at the table and saying we're in a decent position given given everything else that's going on around us, and we can we can kick on from there. But my underlying sort of concern is is the way that we're playing and not seeing that that progression based on what we did in in the transfer market. I don't think there are any excuses this this season. Really, and in fact, I think there's a huge opportunity there. I mean, just as there was last season, to be honest. You know, you've got United are a, a complete mess. Um, Spurs mm. are falling apart. Uh, Chelsea have got a totally unproven coach. Although it, it does kind of annoy me, and I hate to say it, but the way that Chelsea seem to be kind of enjoying themselves at the moment in terms of having a club legend as as coach and relying on young players, I don't think they're a you know, they're not a perfect team by by any means, but I think there's a lot to for them to enjoy about how they've been how they've been playing. Um, mm. But yeah, I just feel like there is such an opportunity this 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 season, just as there was last year, and we we blew it. And look, we might well still finish in the in in the top four. We could easily finish in the in the in the top four. I don't rule that out uh, at all. But like I say, I just want to see something that tells me we're we've there's like a direction that we're heading in, and we're not just gonna you know end up in the top for through kind of inertia and the failings of of others and especially like i mean the last few league games i kind of the the europa league and the cup i kind of put to one side and i don't dismiss them but i just feel like it's a different thing altogether but the yeah. last few league games starting with the the watford second half and then villa and united and bournemouth i don't know they've really though th that run of league games has really made me think I don't know. I don't want to be, you know, kind of trigger happy and I don't want to be overly negative either. But they have really made me question um, whether he's the, 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 the right man or, 
or not. But like I say, I mean, we might well still finish top four and maybe that's maybe that was all his his role was ever supposed to be, you know, get us back into the top four and then yeah. maybe he goes and someone else comes in and we, we start again. But I just, I want to have a bit of fun along the way. And like those, those, these last few games for me, they haven't been fun, like at all, really. No, no. And I, I hate to say that about, about watching Arsenal, but it is important. I want I want to have fun watching my, my team. Yeah, I know what you um, mean. I, I was it was curious. I was watching the. I uh, don't know if you've seen it yet, um, but the Ian Wright interview with with Dennis Bergkamp. I haven't yet. No, <clears throat> it's absolutely brilliant. Um, you know how could it not be? Uh, obviously, but there's a really interesting bit when uh, Wrighty is asking him. You know what? How did the move to Arsenal come about? What was going on? And Dennis, you know, was saying about he'd been in Italy for two years. His agent was talking to the club and it was all, you know, we're not quite sure what way it's going to go. So he was open to the move, but he was also talking about uh, football in Italy and how it's it's very much your job, how it's nine to five. You've either got to get three points. If you don't get three points, you've got to get one point. And if you don't get one point, you know, it's a disaster and everything else. And he said, I, I wanted to sort of reconnect with what football is supposed to be about. And it's supposed to be a game. And you're supposed to have fun. And, you know, we can rationalize that, okay, results um, are the most important thing. Of course, we we can all see that in that box. But, but also, I think there is something to what he was saying and what you're saying. And, and, having fun kind of goes hand in hand with performances and and if you're playing well you're more likely to have fun and if you're having fun you're playing well and if you're playing well you're more likely to get results you know it's not just it's not a binary thing is it that you you don't just have to have fun you can still get results and play well well and also i would maybe be willing to sacrifice some of the fun not all of the fun but some of the fun <laughs> if 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 you were watching kind of a ruthlessly efficient team that was grinding out results and it wasn't a lot of fun, mm. but you could really see what the idea was, you know, look at, I don't know, um, look at Atletico Madrid, for example, okay? Yeah. In, their la- in their last five games in all competitions, Atleti haven't conceded a single goal. They've had five clean sheets in a row. Now, Atleti aren't, aren't always fun to watch. In fact, quite frequently, they're not, they're not fun to, to watch. But at least there you can look at that and see, well, something is, is working. Okay, they're not scoring enough goals. That's, that's, that's also true. But something there is, is working. It's not a, kind of a dysfunctional team. You know? mm. But I don't feel like we're getting that either. So I feel like, do you know what I mean? I'm willing, yeah. to, I'm willing to trade off to a certain extent if I feel like I'm getting something in return for that trade off. But I don't feel like I'm even getting that. I feel like I'm not having a lot of fun and the team are still kind of a bit all over the place and sometimes just about winning games and sometimes just about not winning games. But do you know what I mean? So I'm yeah. not sure what the, what the upside is. We've kind of fallen between two stools in a way. Yeah. I know. I know what you mean. Um, well, look, we'll see what the rest of the season brings and whether Emery can provide uh, an improvement in, in uh, performances and the fun level. And I think if he does, then, 
you know, the the chances of uh, of us winning games um, increases because you know we've we've kind of ground our way to all our Premier League wins have been by a single goal this season. So there is definitely room for improvement there. Before we go, let's just talk a little bit about Danny Ceballos, and he is um, on international duty away with Spain at the moment. He might not play at the weekend because of a little hamstring strain, but is expected to be in the team or available for for Tuesday's game, which is against uh, Sweden, I think. Um, He he seems to be enjoying life in North London. Um, From what he said while he was away with Spain, he he seems like a happy guy at Arsenal. Yeah, he really is. In fact, I was listening to him talk on, on the radio this morning. Um, and he was saying exactly that. He was kind of he was he was singing the, the praises of of Emery actually. To be to be fair, which uh, is, is kind of interesting because I don't think that Ceballos is necessarily totally an, an Emery type player. Um, although you know, I also think whenever you hear players talking about almost anything, you have to take it with such a massive pinch of salt because you know they're on media duty. They know that everybody's listening. And they they very rarely speak, I think, the the truth. But no, he does seem very, very, very happy. I mean, he hasn't played quite as much as I thought that he he might or maybe that he should. I think someone did a study and he's played, I think it's 57% of the minutes that he could have played for Arsenal this, this season. So but just over half. Yeah, but he's the um, only guy to have featured in all 11 games. He's the only player. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, minutes-wise is yeah another thing, but... Well, it's also, you know, he's playing a lot more and he made this point. He's playing a, an awful lot more than he was for, for Real Madrid. And he does seem to be, to be enjoying himself. I, I, was, I, mean, I was so excited when we, when we signed him because I'd seen enough of him to know what a gifted player that, that he, he is. I wasn't totally sure exactly how he'd take to the, to the Premier League. He talked about that as well this week, talking about how the kind of the physical challenges of the, of the Premier League and the way that he feels that he needs to kind of adapt to to that but I actually think he's handled that pretty well and I think part of that is because he's although he is a really um kind of technical creative player he's also got that little bit of of niggle do you know what I mean he's got that little bit of nastiness in his in mm. his game and I think that really helps I think he quite enjoys that even if he's not the the biggest strongest most physical player I think he does actually quite relish that 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 challenge. There've been a couple of moments. You know, what was the the game where we scored? Uh, the Aubameyang scored a goal, and it came because Ceballos had won the ball back, and Ceballos went and celebrated as if he'd scored himself. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. I've really, really loved, love, love seeing. So yeah, I think he's, I think he's, I think he's enjoying himself a lot, and I, I think his future, to be honest, depends almost entirely on what happens in terms of the Real Madrid managerial situation. Yeah, um, um, yeah, he doesn't as, as, doesn't get on with Zidane, and no. Zidane isn't getting on particularly well with Real Madrid at the moment. But no, even though they are they're top of the league. Yeah, it's, um, we're in a weird world. <laughs> yeah, it has been a strange one. But no, as long as Zidane is in charge of uh, of Madrid, Ceballos will not come back. Um, if there's a change of coach, then you know, I think the kind of the lure of of, of Real Madrid for, for any Spanish player is so great that with a change mm. of coach, I think he, you know, he probably would want to come back and, and prove himself. So it, it kind of depends on, on what happens with Madrid this season. Well, look, uh, I obviously hope they keep Zidane. I hope uh, Ceballos plays to a, a particularly high level with us. There's a, a lot of talk, and it's very, very early, of course, about you know making the deal permanent and him being open to that and Arsenal being open to it. But you know, there's a, a long season to come, and opinions on players change um, within a couple of weeks. So you know what what people think of Ceballos now and what people think of Ceballos in three, four, six months' time might be very different things. But obviously, I, I hope he, he he kicks on because I think he's he's got. 
he's got qualities I think that really suit the Premier League. Um, one last thing before we go, and uh, you know, as an Arsenal fan, somebody living in Spain, somebody covering football in Spain, how great is it for you to watch Santi Cazorla doing what he's doing at Villarreal? Oh, it's just been, I mean, it's been, it's been incredible. Like it, it's not an exaggeration to say that he's been, you know, easily in the top five players in La Liga this, this season, easily. Mm. And that, that's not, that's not me talking with my Arsenal hat on. That's just anyone would, would tell you that. Yeah, he's been so, so good. He wears the captain's armband for, for Villarreal. He's back in the Spain squad again uh, this time. It's just been an absolute delight. Um, the only, I do, I watch all of that with just a tiny little tinge of regret that it came after leaving Arsenal. I think we all understand why he left when he, when he did. You know, the club had stood by him for a, for a long, long time and it's, it's totally understandable why, why they let him go when he, when he did. And I don't think anyone really really expected him. I mean, he said himself, you know, all he wanted to do last season was, was play. He had no idea if he was even going to be able to, to play regularly for, for Villarreal. He did that last year and was very, very good. And this year he's, he's stepped it up and he's been even better again. And like I say, one of the best players in, in La Liga. So no, it's just been, it, it's been fantastic to, to, to watch it. It really has. I think the thing, you know, people will look on um, when any player leaves and he does well somewhere else is always that, oh, why did we let him go? And like, why can't we bring him back? Um, th- those things rage around. But I, I think you can't overlook the, the home element of the Santi Cazorla situation because he'd been 18 months out injured in, in England. He'd been back in Spain quite a lot for, for his treatment and his rehabilitation mm. and his, his surgeries and, and everything else. But also just the, the, the comfort of home and the comfort of, you know, being in his home country, playing at Villarreal again, you know, it feels like the, like if we want to make the analogy to, to Goldilocks and the Three Bears, the porridge was just right. And, and, <laughs> and without, without those elements all coming together, maybe it wouldn't be going as well for him. Yeah, I mean, Villarreal is it's a lovely place to, to play football as well. It, it really, really is. You know, it's a, it's a tiny little, almost kind of family club. You know, they shouldn't mm. have anything like the status that they, that they have. But I, I've been down there, down to, the, down to the training ground. They've got amazing facilities you know it's a lovely part of spain to live in because the sun's always shining mm. um yeah I, I think there is a there is a lot to like about playing your football down down there and certainly at this stage of his of his career and yeah he can be the main man there like i say he's the he's the captain you know and all of their play kind of goes through through him so yeah i think the circumstances for him being there are are couldn't really be be better and yeah let, let's hope it, it it carries on this kind of Indian summer of his of his career continues for as long as possible. Yeah, and now that we can watch um, Spanish football uh, on TV again, it's it's uh, it's going to be good to watch throughout the season. Uh, of course, people can uh, keep up with what's going on in Spain via the Spanish Football Podcast. Alex is the producer. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Um, we'll we'll chat to you again soon. I hope. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you very much indeed to Alex. You can find him on Twitter at Alex Kirkland. That is at Alex Kirkland. And Alex is the producer of the Spanish Football Podcast which I'm sure many of you know, follow that at TSF underscore podcast at TSF underscore podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Right. If you are listening to this on Friday, October the 11th, you may or may not be aware that today is International Day for the Girl. And to mark this, Tim Stillman spoke to Arsenal defender Leah Williamson, who was recently in Jakarta with the Arsenal Foundation. You might have seen earlier in the year, Per Mertesacker was out there to take part in the Arsenal Coaching for Life program. Tim talks to Leah about her trip, about the young girls she met out there, the conditions they're growing up in, and how the program is, is giving them confidence and resilience, as well as some much-needed fun in their lives. She also talks about the recent interview that her teammate Emma Mitchell gave to the BBC about her decision to take time out of last season due to issues with anxiety and mental health. Leah also talks about winning her place in the England starting lineup and looks ahead to Sunday's big, big game against Chelsea this weekend. The Arsenal women are in action there and of course the Arsenal women are the reigning FA Women's Super League champions. Champions at Arsenal. This is Tim and Leah. Enjoy. Uh, Leah, let's start at the beginning. Um, we're here to discuss something quite specific today, mainly yeah. um, a trip a trip you recently took with the Arsenal fan- Foundation. Uh, would you like to describe where you went and for what reason? Yeah, so um, I went with the Arsenal Foundation and saved the children over to Jakarta in Indonesia, uh, where we have the Coaching for Life programme set up. Um, it's pretty special. Um, I felt very privileged actually to be able to go over there and, and see the work that we're doing. Um, but yeah, the Coaching for Life programme, we go over there, um, we take coaches from, from North London um, and we we coach or we, we teach their coaches over there to deliver a 20-week programme um, for the girls and boys out there that, that are part of the programme. Um, and... Yes, yeah, so we, we train them to, to be able to deliver it and then they they run the sessions and they're a lot more, not more so much about football, um, but more about building resilience, self-confidence, um, you know, helping the kids to, to deal with emotions or circumstances, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these children come from very deprived areas, um, which, which we we saw and, and went to sort of have a look around so it's um it's pretty special pretty special programme and project I was going to ask you that actually I, I take it you've never been to Jakarta or Indonesia no. before what did you make of it? yeah um, hot <laughs> um, completely different um, it's very busy it's really really busy and I think that was one of the main things that sort of struck me um, there's just so many people uh, the traffic the houses the houses are built so so close together there's can't get anywhere quickly um, and you know even even in sort of underprivileged areas where the pitches are built it's sort of narrow streets mopeds you know just flying about everybody seems to be going somewhere all the time basically um, so yeah I feel like 
for the little that they have, life is very fast paced, and everybody's you know trying to sort of you know keep going and and fighting their circumstances, which yeah, it made me very grateful for for what I have, especially here. And uh, how did the trip come about? I know you've done like coaching clinics and stuff like that down at the Arsenal Hub, which is next to the stadium. Yeah. Um, did the foundation approach you? Did you express an interest? How did this all get kicked off? Yeah, so um, even the times that I've sort of been down to the Hub, I've just either, you know, a couple of the girls from the programme down there had, had uh, messaged me um, and said, you know, do you want to come down and see one of our sessions? So, you know, even stuff like that sort of happened quite naturally, but um, the foundation came to me and, and sort of said this is something that, that potentially we'd like to have you out and and go in and having a look. I think I think I'm a good fit for it just because of um you know, one of the messages that we try and sort of spread, especially here in the in the community hub at the stadium and also out there is in Jakarta is that once you're part of the Arsenal family, you're part of the family forever. Um there's an enormous support system and like I say, once you're part of the family you have access to that. So I think having been here since the age of nine, um and having used every single part of that support system and also given back to it um yeah I suppose I was a good fit to sort of go out and and it's you know instead of just standing in front of those girls out there and saying I'm a professional footballer I'm actually living proof of somebody who's come through the system at Arsenal and and reaping the full benefits and uh so the girls you met and uh and kind of coached I guess what what kind of experiences have they gone through like what what sort of lives were they leading so yeah so it's quite um you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to sort of hear what what some of them have been through. Um, we spoke to one girl, and and she'd lost her mother. Um, you know, sort of trying to grow up w- without her. Obviously, that was um, a, a really sad story. And then you've got a couple of other girls who just sort of fight, like I say, fight their way through life and and fight for everything that they they have. Um, and then one little girl um, that I met and spent a lot more time with Dia. Uh, she's actually working to support her family um, which is just as a 14 year old girl is not something she should ever have to be thinking about um, so yeah a lot a lot of the girls are, are forced into child labour you know just to support their family and, and it's just something that they have to do to get by and you know when you compare that to the circumstances in England and especially what I've been through in my life it's you know you can't even begin to, to get into their heads yeah, and it's I think it's probably fairly obvious how like football can help build confidence mm-hmm. and things like that, and and yeah. even in some situations I suppose give you a way out. But what I'm quite interested in this is is particularly the situation for girls playing football um, in Jakarta and what uh, and Indonesia and what that's like for them, and and maybe some of the stereotypes that they face. Yeah. Um... Especially, I say the other, the young girl that I spent quite a lot of time with, she said that she even faced, not just from the boys, you know, for playing football, but she also faced, um, you know, discrimination and sort of a backlash from, from her, her friends that were girls. You know, they, they believe it's quite showy of her to get involved and she shouldn't be doing that and she shouldn't be, shouldn't be putting herself out there, um, you know, running around and, and playing with the boys. So, yeah, there's... Is a, a, certainly a lot more, you know, maybe the, the biggest thing I've ever had to worry about in my football career is is a parent on the other team disliking the fact that I was better than his kid, you know. Um, and actually these, these girls are fighting stereotypes just by stepping on the pitch. It, it's quite incredible. Um, there was a quite a nice moment uh, on reflection when we looked back and it was, 
the, at one point on the second day um, I joined in with one of the, the coaching sessions with the girls and because of the programme um, and the normality of it you know the, the, the programme aims to get 50-50 uh, girls and boys participation so they really are you know saying that this is this is normal and, and trying to make that a thing um, and all the boys were sitting around the edge of the cage um, just watching because it was the girls time and, and the girls you know did not bother them at all um, so it's quite nice actually but especially like you say over there in Jakarta the the idea of what a girl should be is certainly not um, playing football but then at the same time it certainly shouldn't be supporting her family and, and working either so um, I think yeah the the main thing that all the girls have in common is that they just don't care um, and they like I say just like they fight their way through life they fight for their right to play on the football pitch and uh, what what kind of sessions did you put on? What were they like, or did, did you partake? Yeah, in? yeah. So um, I'm actually a bit of a terrible coach, so I, I, I stayed away from that. But um, I went out with one of the community coaches, Drew, um, from over here, and um, most of it is football, you know, and it's 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 fun stuff, you know. It's not it's not meant to be ta- you know taxing for the girls. It's not meant to be to be too difficult, but it's meant to you know. Oh, excuse me. I thought it was empty. Um, yeah I think you know it's not meant to be taxing for the girls it's not meant to be too difficult but it is meant to be engaging and to keep them there Uh, you know the aim for them is to keep the girls coming back so all the drills are fun you know keeping the girls involved you know they want to see them there every week because it means they're having a positive impact on their life and they can sort of monitor them a bit more Um, but halfway through one of the sessions it was um, really nice so part of the part of the sort of yeah, the what do you call it? What do you call it at school? It's, it's the stimulus. Part of the program. Yeah, part of the program. Part of the program is life lessons, basically. So we we did an activity where we all stood in a circle and told each other, um, you know, one after another, rotating round something that we liked about ourselves. You know, so it's 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 not just about football. It's about, like I say, building the self confidence, the resilience. Um, teaching you how to deal with your emotions, you know, allowing them to to be emotional and, and giving them that hour of being able to be a kid, um, which so many of them need so desperately. So um, yeah, I think that was one of the loveliest things for me. You know, it's it's football, and then a lot of the girls are, you know, there's a couple that were really really good, um, but it's not just about that. It's mm. yeah, it's about more. It's about them as humans and helping them as as young girls to sort of fight their way through. Through the you know past the stereotypes and and to to allow them to succeed, um, yeah. And what was um, what was your main takeaway from the trip? What do you think's the thing that will always stay with you about it? I think uh, definitely one of the, the biggest things that I've learned and like I've brought back here, sort of like I say on reflection and and thinking about how I can help further, you know, because going for two days to Indonesia I've not made a lot you know a, a massive impact but I hope I've had a sort of lasting impact on the girls and I hope they remember it but for me coming back here something that I realised when I was out there is that here people come to football games and I interact with them afterwards and they know who I am and they see the stage that I'm on and I use that stage hopefully to, to inspire them and to show them that they can be successful but it's more, you know, it's really related to football and it's directly sort of related to football. So I think when I went out there and the fact that they don't know who I am, most of them won't have a clue who I am. Um, they're told who I am and, you know, naturally 
they were like, like such you know they were lovely to me and, and really welcomed me and sort of treat me like almost like a superstar you know because they were sort of told told to actually when I spoke to Dia and I spent a lot of time with her the biggest thing for her was my spirit and you know how much I've sort of persevered through through problems and, and carried on and then I sort of realised actually my role as a role model is so much more and not every girl I meet is going to become a professional footballer but actually if I can help her just become the most successful version of herself I think that's pretty special so I think yeah um, the most long winded answer ever but actually um, I think that's that's probably the biggest thing I've taken from it you know that we could all have an instead of just thinking that we have our I have my strengths and it's playing football and I have a lot more to offer I think and we should all sort of try and offer as much as possible and yeah if that means I can like I say help somebody not just become a footballer but in life then I suppose that's pretty special and that's uh, that's probably a good segue actually into something else I wanted to ask you about um, we're recording this on Thursday which is actually World Mental Health Day mm-hmm. um, and your teammate Emma Mitchell gave a very candid interview to the BBC about yeah. kind of issues she'd had with anxiety last season um, I, w- I wanted to ask you about um, how the group kind of um, how the group not how the group feel about their interview um, but you know how um, first of all whether you noticed that in Mitch last year because you know she's quite a life and soul person um, and, and and you know kind of I guess the impact um, on the group um, to see someone that you all care about kind of um, be vulnerable in this way yeah I think what I find most worrying and this is you know in the whole world is that yeah I definitely noticed that that Mitch was not her usual self but I didn't at one point think I needed to intervene or, or try and help um, I know obviously we all have the closer people to us and, and stuff like that so maybe I wouldn't have been top of the list anyway if I'd have, if I'd have known that somebody needed to step in but I think that's the problem you know we, we look at people and we think oh they're not quite themselves or maybe there's something wrong but do we actually ask because I didn't um, which is definitely something that I've learned from the situation but um like you say, we, we spend so much time together and everybody cares about each other a lot. So to see Mitch and, you know, be in that vulnerable state, it, it was it was a hard thing for the team. But at the same time, uh, I think the beauty of being somewhere like Arsenal and especially with Joe as manager, it was M- Mitch first. You know, not one point was there any ever pressure on her to, to come back. I, I hope that she never felt like there was or, you know, to, to do anything that she wasn't ready to do because... Ultimately, we we really wanted to make sure that she was okay before anything else. Um, I think the team, from from the point at which Mitchie sort of asked for help or or took the took the option of help, I think the team acted great in terms of um, you know bringing her back in, um, trying to trying to be as normal as possible while also making sure that she had an, enough support. But I think definitely we were all at fault for. You know, people don't know how to handle it. People don't know how to 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 react to, to to offer their support without, you know, you know, being doing something wrong. Um, so I think the way that she handled it, and especially most of it, you know, would have been on her own at the start and in her own head. I think, you know, I'm I'm so I'm so happy that she's found the the strength to speak up and tell people. Um, and also, you know, it's, it's an ongoing journey. You know, now that she's it's not everything's fixed and everything's better. Um, like I say, she'll have people that she's really close to and people that will, that will 
be able to get into her head a little bit more than others but I think um, the fact that she's now spoken out about it we all need to be accountable to to looking after each other um, and yeah I'm just it was it was hard to see like I, like I say somebody that, that that you all sort of you spend so much time together and you, you really notice things um, and you, especially when she wasn't here you know she left a gaping hole in this team because she is she is the life and soul of the party but I always think that was you know that's the worst bit because maybe we didn't know how to approach her so I think it's really brave and um, yeah I'm, I'm really really happy that she she's found the strength to do that for herself but also to help other people and you know she's she's still being selfless even now you know by spreading her spreading the word I suppose and uh I wanted to talk about you a little bit as well in closing. Uh, actually, on my way here, um, I imagine that the comments were embargoed from Tuesday night until today, but uh, Phil Neville um, gave an interview today where he said um, he felt disappointed in himself for not playing you more at the World Cup, um, getting the cue, Phil. Um, <laughs> and he said he was getting 20 Instagram messages a day about playing you. Um, I only sent about 15 of those. So. Um, but... But he talked about how he felt like he couldn't not play you anymore, and obviously you've played in both of these games now against Brazil yeah. and Portugal. How um, how did that, like, first of all, how did that make you feel reading those quotes? Where Phil's being quite honest um, about you know he kind of regrets not playing you more in the World Cup, and now saying that he considers you. I don't think he said undroppable, but he doesn't feel like he can leave you out anymore. How does that? How did that make you feel? Yeah, it's it's nice. It's nice, you know. I'm, I do a job and two people judge me on it my club manager and my England manager and ultimately they decide my destiny so to hear him say that is obviously a nice thing um, I wish he'd have realised a little bit sooner <laughs> um, if, if that's how he felt but no no joking aside um, I think I was I was realistic about my opportunities at the World Cup so I think I, I always knew that was going to be the case but I do think I, I did bring a certain level and I think I've continued with that now so I'm glad that it's getting some recognition because, like I say, I, I do my job to impress two people, and um, you know, hopefully, I was going to get get an opportunity at some point. So to be able to get these two games under my belt, I can only do what I I can do, and hopefully, it'll be enough to to keep me in and around uh, the team, uh, certainly in the squad. Yeah. And a final question: um, big game this Sunday um, away at Chelsea. Um, a real kind of watermark game last season um, in the league, anyway. Maybe not yeah. so much the FA Cup. Um, I really felt watching the Brighton game. Um, I felt that Arsenal had probably played well in spells in a lot of games this season, and those spells were getting bigger and bigger. I feel like Brighton was the first time I really watched Arsenal and thought this is the Arsenal of last season. Yeah. Um, how how are the girls feeling ahead of this game on Sunday? Yeah, I think um, we know what we're capable of and we definitely haven't showed that yet. Um, like Brighton was a great great game for us to finish sort of that period of, of that first month on because we we had played well. Like you say, we had showed excellence in areas but that was actually a game where we, we really dominated and um, to get a clean sheet and so many goals, it's, it's a great thing. Um, but I think, yeah, we're, we're confident. Um We've had a level now, I think, for the last, you know, since this game last year, really, where we've sort of showed that we we are here to dominate, and we, you know, we don't just want to win games here and there; we want to win all that we can. So, um, yeah, we're we're confident, but also we're aware that you know, last year was it was a great result for us, and it's not necessarily going to be the same game. But um, I think we're still capable of bringing home the result. Uh, and like I said, I think the best thing is that we know that we've got more to come. So hopefully, you know, that will keep coming out and. 
this weekend will be the next next step in step on the ladder in terms of you know really seeing what what we what we're capable of. Well, best of luck for Sunday. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Right, uh, great to you. have. Um, dare I say an Arsenal legend on the podcast we had Ian Wright on earlier this week so um, you know two big Arsenal legends on the podcast in one week so thank you very much for joining us thanks that was Tim Stillman talking to Leah Williamson and if you want to follow the Arsenal women in a bit more detail one go to Arsblog News and click on the section for women Tim does amazing stuff there two check out some of the Arsenal women Arscast episodes that Tim does along with Pippa there are interviews with the manager Joe Montemuro many of the players and you get such amazing insight into the team and what drives them and they're so brilliant and so successful at this moment in time they deserve all the support that they're getting and if you want to get on board that's how you find out a bit more about the Arsenal women of course there's stuff on the official Arsenal website as well and you can find out how to get tickets and go to the games and bring your kids Uh, it's well worth doing so there you go Tim and Leia I hope you enjoy that that's about it for for this episode myself and James will be here on Monday we'll have an Arscast Extra an interlull Arscast Extra it's an Arsenal free weekend so you're going to have to find something else to frustrate you this weekend Uh, I'm sure you'll manage to do that. Thank you as ever for listening. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye. I was sitting drinking an old-fashioned, despairing at the state of the world when this dame walked into the office. She was a knockout with legs like a giraffe, cloven-footed and four of them. What do you want, lady? I said, I'm kind of busy here. Look, mister, she said, I need your help. What kind of help, I said. Well, she said, somebody's selling stories about me to the papers. They got info that they shouldn't have. Basically, she said, there's a mole, and I need you to find out who the rat is. I paused for a moment. What exactly are you looking for here, lady? You want me to find a mole, or you want me to find a rat? I don't know, she said. It could be a weasel or a stool pigeon. Who am I to know? That's why you're the P.I., isn't it? Yeah, lady, I said, taking a sip of my drink. I'm a P.I., not a goddamn pet store. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.